Is there now a second wave threatening the population of the country and the globe? Could the standard test for the COVID virus be contributing false positives? Could the lockdowns in countries around the world be killing more people than the virus itself? What sort of pressure is being imposed to silence trained professionals everywhere? This week on the Global Research News Hour, we discover that doctors and scientists everywhere are striving to push for an open debate in the media about the COVID-19 virus and would like to see a reversal of the emergency measures designed to silence them. Two members of a group known as Docs for an Open Debate will join me to discuss the issues, putting them at odds with the establishment. On this week's program, Coronavirus, A Second Look, Part 2, Silencing and Crushing Doctors of Conscience. Bringing you the analysis beyond the media headlines, the Global Research News Hour is on the air. Welcome to the Global Research News Hour for the week of October 2nd, 2020. I'm your host, Michael Welch. The Global Research News Hour is a special radio collaboration between the Center for Research on Globalization and campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on occupied Anishinaabegakin, the homeland of the Métis Nation and the historical territory of the Hiawak and the Nakota. We seek to provide listeners with access to analysis of some of the major issues shaping our world today from thinkers, researchers, and unique political personalities rarely addressed by major media. Our program is available from the Center's website, globalresearch.ca. We'll begin our show with News Notes, a sampling of articles from the Global Research News site. The revolutionaries possessed a social philosophy that had been advanced for its time, heralding a new world of individual liberty and opportunity and reinforcing new productive capacities and a spectacular economic ascent. But they could not discern that the nation was on the road to empire, undermining the republic and its proclaimed democratic values. They therefore were unprepared to see the coming 20th century unproclaimed U.S. imperialism and to delegitimate its pretext for wars. They were unprepared to stop imperialist wars in order to defend themselves. And so the Jeffersonian-Jacksonian revolution came to an end, unable to reframe the meaning of individual liberty in a world of large corporations and unable to see that the imperialist domination of other lands was the foundation of the powerlessness of the people of the United States. Its important legacy, in spite of its limitations, is all but erased from the memory of the people. That comes from the article, The Unfishist People's Revolution, From Philadelphia to Havana and Back Again, by Professor Charles McKelvey, posted October 1st. As its wealth and power have increased, so have its violent tendencies. It overthrows foreign governments, invades sovereign nations, issues crippling sanctions against governments and individuals that displease it, and threaten its allies if they don't follow along. The 2020 election will change none of this. It is said that a sign of insanity 
is doing the same thing repeatedly and expecting a different result. Unless and until the public stops looking to the Democratic and Republican parties for solutions to problems, leadership in troubled times and assistance in creating and maintaining a peaceful world, no election will alter the tragic and violent trajectory of the United States. That comes from the article, The 2020 Election, Nothing Will Change, by Robert Fantina, posted October 1st. If Mr. Gates survives with none of the devastating side effects or premier effects as suffered by the first 45 healthy volunteers for his vaccine, all had to be hospitalized with severe health damage, he may start testing it on a larger population, currently planned on 4,000 healthy volunteers, and then only should the special DNA-modifying vaccine become subject of an objective information campaign telling the populace at large, and especially those who are potentially interested in altering their DNA forever, what COVID-19 vaccination with the Moderna inoculation means and implies. Then only should it become open for those who voluntarily want to alter their genome in full knowledge that whatever later effect could result from it cannot ever be corrected and the DNA changes might be passed on to the next and following generations. Aside from that, there is high skepticism among the people all around the world about any COVID-19 vaccine for several reasons. Perhaps first, because there is really no need for a vaccine. That comes from the article, The vaccine should be tested on politicians first. If they survive, the vaccine is safe. If they don't, then the country is safe. By Peter Koenig, posted October 1st. The U.S. government has strenuously opposed all attempts to introduce as evidence the appalling collateral murder video, which shows the deliberate murder of civilians in Iraq by members of the U.S. military. It has also strenuously opposed the introduction of evidence from a defense witness about his own torture. This despite the fact that in both cases the fact of the U.S. crimes is scarcely disputed and has in fact been all but admitted. The result is the paradoxical and bizarre situation whereby the U.S. authorities try to cobble together a case against Assange based on a confusing medley of discordant and conflicting claims and facts, whilst failing to prosecute or hold to account those who were responsible for the very serious crimes which he has exposed. In fact, as the U.S. government's case has unraveled, the argument has become increasingly confined to the discrete issue of whether, by exposing the U.S. government's crimes, Assange irresponsibly, quote-unquote, put the safety of various U.S. government's informants at risk. That comes from the article, Letter from London, The Surreal U.S. Case Against Assange, by Alexander Mercurius, posted October 1st, originally published at Consortium News. While most of us view Facebook and YouTube as little more than places to exchange news with friends or share a video, these insiders understand much more. 
they have seen up close the most powerful, most predatory, most all-devouring corporations in human history. Nonetheless, most of them have mistakenly assumed that their experiences of their own corporate sector apply only to their corporate sector. They understand the quote-unquote existential threat posed by Facebook and Google without extrapolating to the identical existential threats posed by Amazon, Exxon, Lockheed Martin, Halliburton, Goldman Sachs, and thousands more giant soulless corporations. The social dilemma offers us an opportunity to sense the ugly psychopathic face shielding behind this mask of social media's affability. That comes from the article, Why is the World Going to Hell? Netflix's The Social Dilemma documentary tells only half the story by Jonathan Cook, posted October 1st, originally posted to Jonathan Cook's blog. The first presidential debate of 2020 held last night, September 29th, was a reflection of the growing systemic social crisis in the USA. This is what we saw. One, a refusal of the representatives, Trump and Biden, of the two wings of the corporate party of America to propose any actual solutions to the multiple crises now all intensifying across the country, health, economic, racism, and climate. Two, identity politics run amok, now writ large at the highest political levels, i.e. the great distraction in full force, crowding out and preventing solutions to the crises. Three, a harbinger of political chaos just around the corner at both a street level and in the major political institutions of the country and the collapse of democracy before our eyes. The commentary of the media following chaotic exchange, none dare call it a debate, focused on the form rather than the content of the exchange. Trump went wild, interrupting Biden and stealing much of Biden's time. That comes from the article, The First Presidential Debate, Worse is Yet to Come, by Dr. Jack Rasmus, posted October 1st, originally posted on the blog Jack Rasmus. Hackers have penetrated the computer systems of the UK's foreign ministry and taken hundreds of files detailing the country's controversial propaganda programs in war-torn Syria. In a security breach of enormous proportions, the hackers appear to have deliberately targeted files that set out the financial and operational relationships between the Foreign, Commonwealth and Development Office, or FCDO, and a network of private sector contractors that have been covertly running media platforms in Syria throughout the nine-year civil war. Middle East Eye understands that between 200 and 300 highly sensitive documents are thought to have been acquired by the hackers. Some of the documents have already been posted on the internet, and foreign office ministers and officials are bracing themselves for the possible appearance of more over the coming weeks. While the hackers are not thought to have yet been identified, the sophistication of the cyber attack has raised concerns at the FCDO that a state actor could have been responsible, 
with suspicion focusing on Russia. That comes from the article, UK Government Probing Cyber Attack Over Syria Propaganda Leaks, by Ian Cobain, posted September 30th, originally published at Middle East Eye. These are just a few of the featured articles appearing last week on the Global Research website. Regular visitors to the site are encouraged to send monetary contributions by fax, mail, or online. Just go to globalresearch.ca and click Donate on the menu bar. This past week, since the last episode aired, Winnipeg and 17 nearby areas were set to an orange or restricted level on the pandemic scale. That means new guidelines have been imposed to deaden the spread of the COVID-19 virus. Across Canada, province after province are similarly detecting a rise in COVID-afflicted Canadians. In a speech to the nation on September 23rd, Prime Minister Trudeau stated that the numbers of COVID carriers shot up by 1,000 in just a day. To quote Trudeau, the second wave isn't just starting, it's already here. As we enter the fall season, the second wave appears to be washing across every region of the world, and the public is faced with the arduous task of doing their share to help families and communities deal with what they expect to be a mutual hardship unprecedented in recent history. As mentioned last week, the lockdowns and similar measures are taking their toll on people and in the analysis of experts like Susharit Bhakti cannot be condoned as an answer to the virus. In most Western countries, the median age of COVID-related deaths is between 80 and 86, with half of all deaths occurring in nursing homes. According to the latest immunological studies, Outside of nursing homes, the fatality of the virus is 0.3%. That is about even with medium influenza viruses of 1957 and 1968. As the data is collected, increasing numbers of doctors are coming forward to put out their statistics in order to contradict the WHO and the media's diagnosis of a killer virus. Some have come together and have organized campaigns to try to get this message out to the mainstream press, so far with limited success. They include a petition signed by 2,662 doctors and medical practitioners in the Netherlands, a public conference in Spain with 400 doctors in attendance, a coronary extra-parliamentary inquiry committee, made up of about 500 doctors and scientists in Germany and from Belgium, a public letter with signatures from over 1,500 people in the medical and scientific community, a substantial number of people in a position of expertise who can't, they claim, get their views heard in mainstream media. Faced with such contradictory information, the Global Research News Hour decided to give the doctors some space on the show. Docs for Open Debate is another group out of Belgium. They'd written a letter to Belgium authorities and media expressing concerns about the situation arising out of the SARS-CoV-2 virus 
their concerns about emergency procedures and their right to be heard. As of the beginning of October, 575 doctors, 1,760 medically trained health professionals, and 12,628 ordinary citizens have signed this letter. Two doctors showed up on my program. They are anonymous for the time being. I started our conversation by getting these individuals to explain the rationale for their professional privacy. Well, the, the main problem is um, in Belgium, but also in other parts of the world, is that um, often people who express another opinion, um, they, they can get problems. Uh, some people even lose their position, uh, medical doctors, um, as has happened with some colleagues. Um, what we also see is that there's uh, distancing from colleagues or they are called before the, um, uh, yeah, they have to uh, explain themselves to the hospital why they um, express this opinion. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the last uh, but not the least is in the media. It often happens that uh, people who, yeah, again, have an other opinion than the mainstream media are really um, ridiculized. And um, often, yeah, when the arguments fail, the, the people himself, uh, the people themselves are attacked. And for this reason, we would still like to stay um, a little while anonymous because as individuals we are quite vulnerable but we plan to uh, come out as a group it's a press conference uh, hopefully in one of the next weeks but then as a group we are stronger than just the two individuals who are giving this uh, interview okay um so again so yeah so you've got uh, i guess you know, hundreds of, of doctors have, have showed up and uh, signed this uh, Signed this letter, and, and it, with, with all the expense, the, the vast, the thick uh, discussion about how the virus is uh, basically not as uh, you know killing or, or menacing as it's been led to believe, and uh, that there's a need for more dissident voices. Um, could you maybe explain uh, a little bit behind the? Uh, the creation of this. I mean, how, how did this, what, what's the story behind the creation of docs for uh, debate? Uh, colleague, yeah. <laughs> Doc too. Well, it's, um, I think it's that we see that the official narrative that we hear is not consistent with the objective facts that we found. These are two different realities. And I think uh, I'm glad that you asked the question because in fact, I think this is the core problem of all the whole COVID story. It's, it is in the media. Um, uh, uh, looking back now, I see that we have uh, a situation that I sometimes compare with the Third Reich with the Nazi Deutschland, where uh, Josef Goebbels, um, he was the, the minister of propaganda. And he said, if you repeat a message long enough, loud enough, hard enough, at the end, everybody <laughs> believes it. And I think 
we are, this is really the, the crux, the core of the problem is the media. Um, what we see is that the public is flooded, really flooded, like a sort of tsunami with news. But this is half truth that, that people hear. We, we hear daily numbers and figures. We are bombarded with this, but never in perspective or never comparing them with what normal figures should be. Mm -hmm. And we, what we see is that they are focused on details, never the big picture. And we see also always the same experts. In our country, it is like that. And I'm sure it is also in Canada. It's always the same people you hear. And you don't hear people with divergent opinions. They are just censored. You cannot hear them. There are no open debates. That is the main, main problem, I think. And I think that people think they are well informed when they... Um, they look at the different TV stations or hear different radio programs or read uh, other uh, magazines or newspapers, but it is as if they are in a mirror house because all these media reflect only this one narrative. This is really something that, is, uh, that was for me one of the basic reasons to start this up. Because it's not only for the big public, but it's also for our colleagues. And I think people think they are well informed, but they are not. Mm. Um, and um, <laughs> um, well, maybe we could talk I, about some so talk about some of the uh, the, the examples of, of what you're saying. For for example, just. The, the, uh, the focus on testing the virus. I understand that uh, they use a, a special kind of uh, test, uh, the RT-PCR test. Um, now, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm guessing it's not the same thing as say uh, someone trying to test themselves to see if they're pregnant. You know, it's, it's much more, uh, it's much more uh, varied than that. I mean, could, could you maybe just explain a little bit uh, or in simple terms, what that test is and how it can be delivering false positives in this case. This is something for, for my colleague. Yeah. So what is happening um, with the PCR test is that a little piece of virus uh, genetic material is amplified uh, five times, 10 times, up to 40, sometimes uh, even more. Um, and so they diagnose that there is uh, virus material in the nose eh, where the, the test is taken. Um, the problem with this test is that it's not diagnostic. It means that it's not because you find virus material that it means you're infectious. It can be an old disease. It can be that you had the COVID-19 infection. But there are also a lot of cross-reactions with other coronaviruses and we all had maybe tens of coronaviruses viruses during our childhood. Um, there can be a contamination uh, during the, the, while the test is taken from uh, material in the air. So some experts speak um, about almost 30% of uh, false positives, which is a huge amount. Um, besides that, um, 
as I said, as the test is not diagnostic, you cannot say somebody is infectious or has the COVID, uh, yeah, is, is infected with COVID due to a positive test. It should be confirmed with clinical data, like is this person ill? And it can be um, um, confirmed by a, by a blood test okay, if they find antibodies. The other problem with the test is that they only test for COVID-19, while usually um, in your nose at the same time, there are several viruses and bacteria. Um, but if they only test for one, of course, the diagnosis is always Corona and, and it's not influenza or a rhinovirus or, or there are so many. So everybody's who is ill and is tested, the diagnosis becomes corona because they don't take the panel or compare it with other virus uh, material. Um, so I think that's, that's the main problem with the PCR test. And um, what we see now is this whole second wave is just based on positive PCR tests, which are not diagnostic. Um, yeah. So that's a real, really, really big problem, as there are no, uh, almost no people dying, and the hospitals are almost empty. Just a lot of positive testing in Belgium, especially with the young population who doesn't get sick and who can uh, help with building group immunity. Um, so this is a big hoax. Um, there is no second wave. Just uh, what, what they call a case-demic, but that's something totally else than an epidemic. Yeah, and it's also... It's, it's a, Michael, it's a sort of huge construction like a castle that you build, but it's not on solid ground because the, the, the test you use uh, itself is not meant to diagnose. And this was said by the inventor himself. It's only meant for research purposes. So it's, it's a, a huge castle with all sorts of statistics, and, and, but, but, but the ground itself is not stable. It's not meant to, to, uh, to, to say that people are infected or can be contagious. No, you cannot pull that conclusion. Mm -hmm. So that means that, that all these interpretations are wrong. <laughs> well, there is no second wave. Well, yeah. the thing is, I mean, there's a lot of news right now, uh, media in particular, the politicians, uh, the, the Canadian Prime Minister recently said that we're in the middle of, a, of, a, of a, a second wave. And that, I mean, if, if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying that with this, uh, with this form of testing, I mean, you, you're not only dealing with the, the PCR uh, part, but uh, you know, how many people actually get tested. So, uh, you know, how, how do you, I don't know, you, you can maybe explain, you know, how, how that uh, lack of uh, clear recognition and, and clear knowledge is, is, is coming through. Uh, is it something that maybe later on we can, uh, you know, in, in, uh, in retrospect, looking back and see, well, it, it, it's not different or, or is it just uh, something that we we're not going to be able to tell the difference. Um, actually, Michael, this brings me up to something that I forgot to mention. What we also see in Belgium, and I guess also in other countries, is that the testing 
uh, increases exponentially. So every day they start testing more people. And so what the media always says is, oh, more and more people are infected, but they never look at the percentage which is positive towards the population tested. And if you see that, you see that this number stays more or less same. It's about, in Belgium, it's about 3%. Sometimes it goes a bit up, a bit down. But so no more people are infected, just more people are tested. That's, that's the whole thing. Um, but uh, maybe I didn't understand the question well, but if you say we can look back after. Yeah, I mean, is that this is- Michael, Michael, this, is, this was exactly what I said before, that the core problem is that there are many figures and numbers that are produced but never compared with normal situation or situations or put in perspective. That is what my colleague is saying. So you can say, oh, there is an enormous, uh, yeah, many, many people get now infected. No, you have more PCR tests and you have more so-called positive PCR tests, but this does not mean more infection. That is, that, 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 that's a trickery. But so, yeah. Well, <laughs> It's it's a it's a statistic lie. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, broadcasting from CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and from partnering radio stations across Canada and the United States. Okay. Well, what about uh, the the idea that uh, there are people who have? Uh, I mean. There's, I mean, most of the, uh, the, the, the ill or the one people who are, are chronically ill are over the age of 80. And most of the people under, uh, or, you know, under 70, uh, it's only in the case of, of, of comorbidities, you know, like diabetes, uh, heart condition or whatever that, uh, uh, that, that exacerbates the problem. But um, I, I want to know, I mean, how many people could be walking around right now I mean, people who've never had any uh, disease, any illness, what, what are the chances a certain number of them have COVID and don't know it? Well, I think most of the people that walk around can be asymptomatic and have COVID because the corona, having corona doesn't mean that you are sick because we see that 95% of those who have who have it, they have no symptoms or very mild. It's only a, a low percentage that really goes sick, and also a, a percentage therefore that goes in the hospitals. So, so let me, let me it's just, a, it, let me just it's a, uh, repeat again. You're saying that 95 percent of roughly of the people who have COVID. Yeah, of all ages, eh? the, the normal population, 95% does it with very mild or no symptoms. That's very interesting. Eh? So it means that there is all, only a small percentage that really gets some, some uh, uh, upper, upper respiratory pro problems. And, and when that's heavy, they go to the hospital. But, and, and then only a percentage, therefore, does go to the in intensive care units. But that's very, that's very little. 
So most of the people that are uh, have no symptoms and are healthy, it, it's a sign of the health of the population. It's uh, that's all. So it's a it's a storm in a glass of water. We call it in Belgium. Well, I'm I'm living in a, a city in, in in Canada right now where uh, people uh, are not able to go indoors. I mean, outside their own home, they go out in public, indoors. Uh, any kind of store, any kind of shop, the bank, you've got to be wearing a mask. It's it's the law. You know. Same here. And uh, yet, you're you're saying that masks do very little of anything to protect people's faces. So, what 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 are your thoughts about that? Is is, is masking, you know, even you know, even by some chance, it reduces the the threat a little bit. Uh, is this anything that can be dis uh, you know, excused? Well, there has been no scientific proof at all that it can be that it can be protective. Of course, it's clear that if you have a have a cold and you are sneezing and coughing, then it can have an advantage to wear a mask. But in that case, I think most people, reasonable people, they stay at home, so they are not going to cough at other people. And so, but um, to say that it can protect for these little particles in the air, the aerosols, this is found that they are not protective, therefore. But on the other hand, when you wear a mask, then you have less oxygen and you have an acidification of your blood because you have more CO2 that, uh, that raises in, in your blood. It, it, we are not meant to cover our mouth and our nose all the time. This is not a normal situation. You can imagine also that you are wearing a pamper all the time before your nose and mouth, that at the end this becomes a, a, a soiled pamper. And when you are manipulating your mask, then it comes on your fingers. So it, the chance of giving more infection is, is even more when you're wearing a mask. So um, there is no reason to wear a mask at all except when you go uh, have contact with a risico with a risk group for example cr very old critically very old people who are with one leg already in the grave but that's the, the situation with a normal flu season that's the same because we see it's about the same figures we see for flu and for coronavirus so there is no medical reason whatsoever to, to, to wear masks. I don't know if my colleague has any um, um, additions. Yeah, plus also if we see the real curve of the COVID-19 and we see it follows a curve like an influenza epidemic. Um, well, for influenza, we're not obligated to wear masks everywhere eh? in Belgium even the the teenagers at school have to wear one during the whole day so we see a lot of problems with headaches dizziness tiredness uh, people just uh, yeah kids can't just concentrate in school plus as Johan says they keep this mask on for the whole day it gets moist um, it's just not working anymore and what we also see in the Belgian law is that they don't really talk about masks. 
they just say you have to wear a kind of a cloth in front of your mouth. But studies have shown that this cloth hardly does anything. Mm? Yeah. Some of the masks will protect a bit more against the virus, but as the virus is not transmitted through the air, only through droplets, so by sneezing or coughing, it's of no use to, to wear them. And as my colleague said, uh, the disadvantages of uh, hypercapnia, eh, the retention of CO2 are much bigger and the risk to reinfect yourself with all the bacteria and viruses who are already in your own mouth and then by touching it and manipulating it, he, uh, a doctor in surgery is not gonna ma manipulate his mask, which people do, they wear it every day again, they don't wash it. It's, it's really not, yeah, it's, it's not a good idea to uh, obligate this to the, yeah, to the population. Okay. When, when we look at the overall picture, I think it's only meant to keep the, the pandemia going. Because when you look, um, when you compare, what is, what is the difference between a real pandemia and a fake pandemia? If there is a real pandemia, everybody knows very sick people in his family or his surroundings. In a fake pandemia, most of the heavy cases are found in the media. Real pandemias, you see that everything is overloaded, hospitals and doctor offices. And in the fake pandemias, you see that the hospitals have normal occupations. And in the practices, you see more people who are anxious. And in the real pandemias, you see many deaths, many deaths. In fake pandemias, you see unchanged yearly death rates. Now, the difference is also when the, you have a real pandemia, politicians and the media do everything to calm the public. And now we see the opposite. Politicians and media do everything to spread fear. And the government in a real pandemia does everything to keep the economy going. We see the opposite here. The economy is strangled by heavy measures and regulations. And we see whole branches that are driven into bankruptcy. Well, could we you see also, yeah, I will continue a little bit more. We see that in a real pandemia, that all help, all facts, all objective knowledge are used to provide solutions. And here we see in the fake pandemia that scientific experts are ignored or ridiculed and set aside. And if, if, it's, if it would be real, everything is done to quickly end all measures. Clean and objective, no, clear and objective guidelines are produced. And here we've seen a constantly changing data and guidelines, changing statistics. Always new measures are taken. And for example, this um, mouth cap uh, story is one of that. There is no scientific basis for that. It's only to keep the fear going. Well, what about then, we're talking about the lockdown because the threat is supposed to be so stunning that we've got to do everything we can. So we're going to lock down, we do the masks, we're going to you know, force people to stay no more than 10 people in, in, in a public place. 
and, and so on, you know, people being left out of work for a period of time and so on and so forth. Now, you also mentioned that with that, those things, I mean, what, whatever the threat may be from the virus, those things are also going to have a threat. And do we have a gauge as to whether the lockdowns and the threat, the collateral damage that they're responsible for might be even more severe than the, the threat posed by the virus? Yeah, so what we saw actually in Belgium is that the number of infections and of uh, mortality was already decreasing before the lockdown was installed. So it was not due to the lockdown that, uh, yeah, the, the, in, the, the pandemic got better, eh? the epidemics got better. Um, but of course, what we saw in Belgium is that many aged people have died because in their homes uh, there was an absolute lockdown. They could not have visitors. People have died alone. Um, and it's for, yeah, just a psychological impact not to be able to see any family. Uh, the people who uh, nurse you, they are all masked and with, with uh, cloths and whatever, protected. Um, might have had a, a huge impact. Eh? Besides that, we see an increase in uh, home violence, uh, child abuse. Um, people just can't contain their energy when they're at home. Eh? Besides then, of course, in Belgium, I think one of uh, four companies is uh, going bankrupt, is on the point of being bankrupt at this moment. So the consequences of this in the next couple of years will be huge. This isn't finished yet. Um, and then, yeah, besides that also for the immune system, it's just important. Uh, studies have shown that if you have normal feeding social contacts, the immune system works better. If all that is blocked, you just become more vulnerable. that you basically at odds with the World Health Organization okay I mean what what state mistakes is it making that uh, that would ha have so many doctors at odds with the WTO I mean maybe not maybe not the majority but a, a substantial number in your country what what is behind the the WHO's actions is it uh, mistakes they're making or is there something more corrupt do you have any can you, can you just picture, you know, present an idea or two? Well, uh, first of all, I think um, it's important that this is investigated further. Uh, if there are no connections, and there are some connections eh, to uh, financiers and so on who might have influenced a lot of decisions. But what we find extremely terrifying is that uh, WHO has um, started the term infodemia. It means uh, like an epidemic of false knowledge who spreads and uh, which is causing a lot of 
deaths in this COVID-19 epidemic. So they are actually at the basis of the censorship which is happening uh, on social media in an extreme measure. Every post, every video, every whatever letter which says something that is not according to the mainstream opinion is deleted immediately or fact-checked. Eh? Um, then there comes like a black box and they say this information is not correct because of blah, blah, blah. Um, but we, we guess it is also um, in the mainstream media, media, the case is that they are almost obliged to just give one opinion. And um, what is actually uh, has happened now is that in the European Commission, um, they have talked about this infodemics and um, if they make this a law, it goes against like one of the fundamental rights of, of human beings is to have uh, freedom of speech. Um, and this is what the WHO is not allowing now um, to say to save the people and to uh, have less victims because of this false information. But if you see, there are also a lot of experts, uh, professors, whatever, really scientists who speak out and who are censored. Um, this is really an, an, a, yeah, a very damaging thing. And also the reason we believe that most of the people still believe the whole story because they just can't get to the other information. Oh. What we see is that um, the WHO has signed with many uh, countries an agreement that when there was a pandemia, that all um, um, advice and regulations should be followed that was set by the WHO. And that is exactly what we see. But this means also that, um, uh, that this infodemia, where uh, my colleague talked about, that this is uh, now systematically uh, dominating the news. So you only hear the official narrative coming from the WHO, where on the other hand, we see that the financial sponsorship uh, should really be uh, investigated where the WHO gets its money from. And if there are some conflicts of interests there, that is very interesting. And I say, I started with telling that for me, the core problem is the media. I think um, when people realize how many lies they hear by all the sources they have come to trust, it's really a shock to become aware that all that you trusted has has become a bunch of lies it's a sort it's like a, a fairy tale in my country it's um it's santa claus it's a different santa claus than with, with christmas but it's also it's a saint and he brings the children uh, sweets and candies and and he has a white horse and and he has a, a, a servant black servant who, who helps him and the, the children believe it long time and all people work together to hold this image. So there is a, a real man coming on a white horse and, and, and he's clothed and he gives the sweets and the candies and, and the children believe it long time. 
and sometimes they are very angry and disappointed when they hear that it was an orchestrated lie all the time. So it's the same with all our citizens who who turn on their TV. And I and my I think my advice is for every listener: for God's sake, turn off your TV and and stop reading your normal newspapers and go to alternative news. Hear what is really happening. And we tried to give in our letter the objective facts. Please check them. Please go to the sources and check them. Please do that. We we are really worried for this this enormous lies all the time. This is this is why why we started it to, to also to bring the colleagues because we have sworn an, an oath. <laughs> the, the, the oath to to inform and to protect and to care for our patients. We are worried for them. So my message is also that you should trust the whistleblowers, those who are ridiculized and who risk their sometimes their lives, their career, their their good name to bring you the message of what is really happening. Please listen to the whistleblowers. Could you talk go to sites where you can hear? Yeah, that's that's our message. And wow. we hope we have we have in our letter we have um, in our it's well documented, yeah. and and we have we have selected so you can easily follow what's happening because I think it is the the task of the doctors to go out and speak because other people are not medical experts how can they know that this is true or not true it's only the doctors who can say it yes. Could you give us a, an example of, uh, of some of the extreme measures to, that have been brought on, on people like yourselves to, uh, to, to silence and marginalize these efforts to bring them to, to their attention? Uh, for myself, um, I know in the beginning of the COVID, I posted some YouTube videos um, and some of them were deleted. Uh, they were just about boosting the immune system, which is, I think, little harmful. Um, what we notice also is that many colleagues, uh, medical doctors, don't dare to sign our letter out of fear of repercussions. So they, they really want to support this message, but they are afraid to, yeah, to be punished for it. Um, and then, of course, there's daily life. Eh? Uh, at a certain point in Belgium, uh, in some uh, cities, people just have to wear mouth masks, even if they go to the park, if they're riding a bike. Um, it's it's totally ridiculous. As I said, the, the teenagers in school have to wear masks all day, public transport uh, in, in many offices. Um, yeah, this is really not okay. Eh? Not to speak of then the, the lockdown, what happens with the elderly people. Uh, some of them haven't seen their family for months, months. And some of them have died without being able to say goodbye to, to anybody. So I think that's, um, yeah, that's a lot already. Well, on the, maybe on the more I don't know, positive side, uh, this effort is reached, I mean, there are, countries around the world that are busy trying to get the truth out. Can you report on any, uh, I don't know, positive stories uh, about, you know, how these, 
how, how in spite of the these elaborate methods to, to set one narrative in front of the public, how that the these dissidents like yourself around the world are breaking through. Yeah, I'll answer it. Well, what we notice, and, and that's actually fantastic, we started this initiative more as a Belgian project, but as soon as we got the English translation, we really went worldwide. And at this moment, we do get uh, mails from uh, Russian people, Australian people, people like you from Canada, the US, the UK. And to me, it feels like a big community that is connecting all over the world for the same purpose, who is exchanging information, who's linking to each other. And um, we also feel we could inspire some other doctors in other countries who say we want to do a, a likewise initiative. Uh, how do you build your website and things like this? So it's really something is really happening all over the world. People are connecting or yeah, and I, I believe that's really beautiful. Um, I don't know if you want to add something. Uh... Yes. I don't want to live in a world world where you have to distrust everybody, where where the new normal is is distance, where you cannot hug each other, which 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 we need. It's it's important for us to unite and to feel as brothers and sisters. It's it's it's. Um, it's horrifying what's happening. So, and um, I think um, if we can, as my colleague said, can inspire colleagues, other people, to 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 um, um, pierce this balloon of fear. It's only fear because it's it's not there. It's only because the media are flooding us, and that we refine each other just by talking uh, and, and by by. Uh, stopping all these nonsense and lies and, and, and just connecting to each other, talking again and hearing and, and honoring the truth. And, 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 and uh, yeah, that, that's, um, that's our goal, that, that we can have a little contribution for this. Uh, and, and yeah, that people uh, find their humanity and freedom again. I think another good thing about this whole thing is also that maybe if eventually some systems which are rotten might be exposed because people um, are, Ali, some people aren't just taking it anymore and um, we talked about the WHO, whatever, but I think out of this, some better world may come, at least if people awake and learn to think for themselves. I think that's the main purpose. Um, instead of just following the rules, the guidelines, and just leaving the system as it is because it's comfortable. And what we see now is it's not comfortable anymore. For most of the people, it's not comfortable. And this crisis may be the beginning of a, of a big change in, um, in general. My goal is to provide alternatives and then you'll get the alternatives together with the, uh, the mainstream stuff and, and then you'll get the truth. And I, I think that we'll only be better by having heard your voices. So 
I want to thank you both for uh, this uh, interesting and uh, entertaining conversation. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. We, we want to thank you, Michael, for your openness and inviting uh, us. So uh, thank yes. you. You just heard from two of the doctors representing the group Docs for Open Debate, calling for accessibility and open debate on the coronavirus and the emergency measures put forward to contain it. They are based in Belgium and have directed the letter both to Belgian authorities and the open media. Before I close the show, I would like to read a couple of excerpts from the letter. We, Belgian doctors and health professionals, would like to express our serious concerns in this way, in connection with the state of affairs in recent months surrounding the outbreak of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. We call on politicians to be independently and critically informed in the decision-making process and the mandatory implementation of the corona measures. We call for the policy debate on Corona to revisit the purpose that the measures should serve, improving our public health physically, mentally, and emotionally. We argue that the measures to get the coronavirus under control are disproportionate and cause more damage than they do well. There is no longer any medical ground to justify this policy, we therefore argue for an immediate end to all measures. We demand a restoration of our normal democratic governance and legal structures and an open debate where all experts are discussed without any form of censorship. A solution should not be worse than the disease is a proposition that is more topical than ever in the current situation. However, we note in the field that the collateral damage that is now being caused to the population will have more impact in all layers of the population in the short and long term than the number of corona victims that are now being protected. The current corona measures and the strict penalties for non-compliance are, in our opinion, contrary to the values formulated by the Belgian Superior Health Council, which until recently, as a health authority, has always monitored quality medicine in our country. Science, expertise, quality, impartiality, independence, transparency. That's it for this week. Next week, we are going to examine the measures taken to eradicate the virus, what is allowed and what is not. I hope you'll join us then. You've been listening to the Global Research News Hour. You can hear our program every week on CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States. You can also hear our show on the website globalresearch.ca. To leave feedback, please email globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. I'm host, creator, and producer Michael Welch. Thanks for listening. Catch us again next week. Mm-hmm.